Hey, I'm Dr. Michael Hunter, forensic pathologist from Autopsy, Reels Channel's medical mystery series on Podcast One and Apple Podcasts. Be sure to download the Podcast One app and subscribe. Then go to Reels.com, that's R-E-E-L-Z.com, to find more programs like this one on Reels Channel. Actress and icon Farrah Fawcett died this morning after a long battle with cancer. Farrah Fawcett was one of the biggest names of her generation and a global superstar. She was the Marilyn Monroe of the 70s. She embodied just the feeling of what we were at the time. Best known for her role in the TV series Charlie's Angels and her distinctive hairstyle, Farrah's beauty was legendary. She was a gorgeous woman, like breathtaking. You couldn't take your eyes off her. She just had this tremendous charisma. But in 2006, Farah and her friends were stunned when she was diagnosed with anal cancer. I think a lot of people were in shock, especially just that she was this very healthy person. But instead of having traditional cancer treatments, Farah decided to seek alternative ones instead. She'd always been a big fan of alternative medicine. She was going to go get that cancer and fight it till the very end. Farrah Fawcett's cancer was diagnosed early when survival rates are good. She also didn't smoke, but was dead within three years. I want to know why Farrah died sooner than would be expected and if alternative treatments she received played any part in her death. Acclaimed forensic pathologist Dr. Michael Hunter has expertly conducted thousands of autopsies for nearly 20 years. As the chief medical examiner in one of America's biggest cities, he works closely with law enforcement and other forensic specialists to investigate suspicious deaths. I have here Fairfoss's medical documents and will be using these along with first-hand accounts from her close friends to help me investigate the reason for her death. March 2005, Farrah Fawcett's condo, Los Angeles, four years before her death. Farrah is being filmed for her new reality show, Chasing Farrah. Despite acting work drying up, people are still fascinated with her. She's being paid a million dollars for appearing. And along with her boyfriend, Ryan O'Neill, are among the first celebrities to open up their lives to the camera. Keith Edmire, artist and friend. Fair liked to try things out, and I think when Chasing Fair came out, it was when reality television was first started. I think she did it, but I don't, I don't think it was something she was that <laughs> pleased about. Now in her late 50s, Farah fills her time with her artwork and keeping in shape. Jan Alexander, Farah's friend. Farah was a brilliant artist. Art was the most important thing to her, besides sports. And she always focused on healthy foods. Farah Fawcett was in great physical shape and worked hard to maintain this look. Along with eating well, she didn't smoke. She also went to the gym, swam, and played tennis. There was nothing in Farrah's lifestyle that would indicate that she would soon become very ill. 
Farrah Fawcett was born in 1947 in Corpus Christi, Texas, to an oil field worker father and housewife mother. She studied art at college, but it wasn't her art, but her beauty that opened doors for Farrah. She got top 10 most beautiful at the University of Texas. And so she was asked by Hollywood if she would come out and do a screen test. So she wanted me to go with her. Farah arrived in L.A. in 1968 and never looked back. As soon as she got here, she signed with Screen Gems. During that time, she became, you know, did modeling and lots of commercials. Mike Pingle, Farah's personal assistant. Mother always told me, sit up straight, eat all your vegetables, and stay out of small foreign cars. But Joey, mother never told me about Ultrabright. They started putting her in TV shows, and as soon as she started working, it didn't stop. Then in 1976, she did a photo shoot that would change her life. This is the photo that was taken of Farrah Fawcett. It became the biggest selling poster in the world. And I've discovered a little known medical condition of Farrah's that may have been instrumental in its success. She was born with pyloric stenosis, which is a blockage in the small intestine. It causes young children to be sick. It's relatively common and is fixed by surgery. Farrah had this operation when she was 28 days old, which left her with a scar on her stomach. She was very self-conscious about it. It was a source of embarrassment for her as well. It became a problem because she had to have that scar tissue removed. When Farrah Fawcett arrived to do the photo shoot, it was this scar that dictated her choice of outfit. They really wanted her to do a bikini for the poster because of the scar. Farrah decided not to do the bikini, but the one piece, which is the burnt red bathing suit that she wore that made that iconic poster. Farrah's poster sold over 12 million copies. It became one of the most popular images of the decade. She was the Marilyn Monroe of the 70s. That's who Farrah was. She embodied the fun of the 70s, the excitement, the beauty, just the feeling of what we were at the time. The poster's success led to Farrah being offered a major part in a new show called Charlie's Angels. It became one of the biggest shows on television. It was a mega hit before you knew it. It made all three stars, Kate Jackson, Farrah Fawcett, and Jacqueline Smith, rock stars of television. They're on every magazine. Everybody in the world wanted to see them. Everybody wanted to be them. And Farrah's distinctive hairstyle was copied around the world. But Farrah Fawcett yearned to play more challenging roles. So after only one season on Charlie's Angels, she left to pursue a movie career. I'm glad that I did it, and I'm glad that I left. Farrah worked well into her 50s. You know, I bet you never once dreamed in Technicolor, huh? But then in July 2006, she discovers something that turns her world upside down. July 2006, Houston, Texas. Three years before Farrah Fawcett's death. Farrah is at her family home when she notices something wrong. 
Farah was home uh, visiting her father, and she found blood in her stool. There are numerous conditions that can cause blood in urine or stools, including hemophilia, hemorrhoids, and urinary tract infections. In many cases, it's nothing life-threatening. But in Farah's case, it was a deadly warning sign. September 22, 2006, UCLA Medical Center, California. Two years and nine months before Farah Fawcett's death. Farah visits the hospital to get the results of the tests she's had to determine the cause of the bleeding. It's not good news. The doctor informs her that she has anal cancer. It's malignant and may spread to other parts of her body. I was devastated when I heard the news, but she just told me that she was going to fight this. Is it curable, the cancer? I think a lot of people were in shock, especially just that she was this very healthy person. She had all the healthy habits, plenty of exercise, also eating healthy. So we were all very surprised when she got the diagnosis of cancer. She had cancer in friends who had survived. So there was a lot of cancer around. And Farah just thought, well, this is something to take care of and get rid of. Anal cancer is extremely rare, with a majority of cases being caused by the human papillomavirus, or HPV, which is usually sexually transmitted. So could Ferris cancer have been caused by a sexually transmitted disease? Actress and 70s icon Farrah Fawcett was diagnosed with anal cancer in 2006 after noticing blood in the toilet. The news shocked Farrah and friends as she didn't smoke kept in shape, and ate healthy foods. Now one of America's top forensic pathologists, Dr. Michael Hunter, is re-examining all the available evidence to assess what caused Farrah Fawcett's death. The main cause of anal cancer is the human papillomavirus, or HPV, which is usually sexually transmitted. There are approximately 14 million HPV infections in the United States every year. About 50% of them in 15 to 24-year-olds. For most, HPV clears on its own or is prevented with a vaccine, but a very small number may develop into a cancer. So could a sexually transmitted disease be the cause of Farrah Fawcett's illness? Donna Kaufman, journalist. Farrah was never promiscuous. She was the good Catholic girl through her whole life. And the men that she had sex with were, by and large, men she either married or had long relationships with. But while Farah didn't have many sexual partners, the men she dated famously did, including her first husband, the actor Lee Majors, and the man she left him for, actor Ryan O'Neill. In 1997, when Farah thought everything was going swimmingly with her relationship with Ryan, she walked into his Malibu place and discovered that he was in bed with an actress, 25 years old, half his age, and she blew her gasket. 
Ryan O'Neill and his reputation was well known in Hollywood, and Fair was very much aware of it, that he was a ladies' man. Ryan had a lot of girlfriends. He was the playboy of America, and he dated the most gorgeous women in Hollywood and was proud of it. While Farrah's partners had numerous relationships, HPV is so prevalent in the population that it could have come from any of them. And looking through her medical documents, I see no mention of whether she was ever tested for it. So I can't rule out HPV as playing a role in her death. But Farrah's boyfriend, Ryan O'Neill, had his own theory about what caused her cancer. He said in an interview that he believed it was the stress from the constant fights with him and his family that led to her illness. Dr. Linda Papadopoulos, psychologist. We know now that thoughts aren't these intangible things. They do affect our biochemistry. So his point was that she'd gone through so much stress in the years leading up to her cancer. One with, I think she had quite a difficult relationship with her stepdaughter. Another, and Ryan O'Neill says himself, that the two of them would argue a lot because her career was on the rise, whereas his was on the fall. The beginnings of Farah's turbulent relationships with men can be traced back to her childhood. When Farrah was six years old, she was making her way home when she was grabbed by a high school student and dragged into a field. The kid pushed her down, tore her blouse, and she struggled to get away. She was not assaulted, but she knew somehow, she knew it was sexual. And it kind of remained in her psyche for many years to come. The assault made Farrah distrustful of men and drew her to partners she felt could protect her. Whether it was Lee Majors, the $6 million man, or, or an ex-boxer like Brian O'Neill, you see her seeking out men that somehow protect and, and make her feel safe. So clearly that feeling of being unsafe, of being threatened, stayed with her. Farah wanted to be protected, but the downside of it is when you go after guys who are macho and talk with their fists you're going to get a guy who is violent. Ryan and Farah's relationship was extremely passionate. And so when you get the high passion of love, you get the high passions that can result in violence. This volatility reached ahead in 2007, just five months after her cancer diagnosis. While Farah is in bed resting, Ryan gets into a heated argument with his two sons, Griffin and Redmond. Griffin accuses him of being a poor father. Ryan and Griffin got into a fight, and Ryan uh, pulled out a gun and fired it. Farah heard the shot. She heard the commotion, and it was just an ugly scene. There's no doubt that Farrah's relationship with Ryan was extremely turbulent, which could have resulted in a lot of stress. And although stress can cause a number of health problems, the evidence that it can cause cancer is weak. So I'm going to discount it in Farrah's case. But it seems stress wasn't the only side effect of Farah's turbulent relationships. 
I can see that there was a period of time during one of her breakups with Ryan O'Neill that there were reports that Farah had problems with alcohol and drugs. I need to investigate this. Was this simply someone drowning her sorrows, or was this an indication of a much bigger problem that could be linked to her cancer? The claims emerged in the tabloid press and followed Farah's interview on The Late Show with David Letterman, where she appeared to be intoxicated. Um, let me think. Why? Why what? Haven't I been? I, I don't know. That's what I had just asked you. Oh. <laughs> well. <laughs> How you doing? You all right? <laughs> don't I seem all right? You seem fine. Farrah was appearing on the show to promote her appearance in Playboy magazine. David Letterman had her on for the second part of the show, and they both thought they were having a great time. Now, afterwards, it exploded on all the horrible tabloids, saying that she was on drugs. She was disheveled. She was in bad shape. And whether that was substance abuse or drinking, I don't know, but it was not a good appearance. What does that say? I, I don't know. I just, there you go. And uh, get into a 12-step program no, immediately. See, there's another one. Farrah's version to me is that she had decided to take some cold medicine before going on The Letterman Show. But more importantly than that, her publicist had said they want the Farrah that's the dumb blonde that's a little ditzy. And so she was actually playing a part. That's what she told me. After considering comments from Farrah's friends, I don't believe that she had a problem with alcohol or illicit drugs. So I want to discount these as having any impact on her illness. But with a cancer as virulent as Farrah's, the next decision she made would be key in determining her fate. An autopsy not only reveals how a person died, but how they lived. I'm Dr. Michael Hunter. If you like what you're hearing, check out more dark mysteries on your TV on Reels channel. There are shocking real-life and death stories in world's most evil killers, like the quiet neighbor nicknamed the Scorpion after he bludgeoned nine women to death with a hammer, and Rodney Alcala, the serial murderer best known as the dating game killer. Then check out the latest episodes of Autopsy that reveal what really killed screen and music legends like Walt Disney, Tom Petty, David Cassidy, and Batman's Adam West. You can find Reels on your TV at Reels.com. That's R-E-E-L-Z.com. Then check the top of the screen to find Reels in your area. For many of us, at some point in our lives, the word cancer will take on a new meaning. A friend or a relative will develop the disease. Perhaps even some of us will have to face it ourselves. Actress Farrah Fawcett died of anal cancer in 2009, despite being a non-smoker and leading a very healthy life. Now, world-renowned forensic pathologist Dr. Michael Hunter is examining all the available evidence to try to find out why. Anal cancer is rare, only affecting around 8,000 people a year in the U.S., and outcomes are good if detected early. Ferris cancer was not too far advanced when discovered, so her prognosis was initially good. October 13, 2006, UCLA Medical Center, California. 
two years and seven months before Farrah Fawcett's death. After Farrah was diagnosed with anal cancer, she began a course of chemotherapy at the hospital. Chemotherapy uses a combination of drugs to kill malignant cells and is usually the medically advised way to treat most cancers. Body tissues are made of billions of individual cells, most of which stop dividing once the body is fully grown. When cells divide, they split into two identical new cells, which continue to replicate. In cancer, the cells keep on dividing until there is a mass of cells, which become a lump called a tumor. Chemotherapy is designed to kill rapidly dividing cancer cells. Unfortunately, these drugs also attack other rapidly growing cells in the body, including those in hair roots, causing them to fall out. For the woman who had had the most iconic hair of the 1970s, losing it was a big worry. Farah was very concerned about losing her hair with all the cancer treatments. There was a time in her career that she cut her hair very short. The whiplash was severe, that she wasn't pretty anymore. She sort of equated a lot of her movie status with her hair, as many people did. Mindful of this, Farah's doctors were careful to avoid chemotherapy that would cause her hair to fall out. I've worked with cancer patients that have told me that losing their hair is often harder than, than losing a breast. Hair holds a very important social significance for most women. It denotes health and, and youth and vitality. For Vera Fawcett, it was more than that. It was a big part of her identity, so no wonder she goes out of her way to choose medications that will spare her hair. February 2nd, 2007. Farrah's condo, Los Angeles. Two years and three months before Farrah Fawcett's death. It's Farrah's birthday, and she has more reason than usual to be happy. She's just heard that she's cancer-free, so is celebrating with her friends and her partner, Ryan O'Neill. In 2007, Farrah's cancer was in remission, and I did have the opportunity to see her in Los Angeles, we met at her place, and she told me she's cancer-free and started crying and told me how hard it was. You could tell that she'd gone through hell, but she was very strong, and she was determined that she was going to fight this to the very end. May 14, 2007. UCLA Medical Center, California, two years before Farrah Fawcett's death. Three months after being given the all-clear, Farrah is told that her cancer has returned and that it has spread to her liver. Her doctor advises her that to give her the best chance of survival, she should have the anal tumor and the surrounding area surgically removed. When she found out that the, her cancer had spread, I had planned to go out and see her but then things got much worse. You can imagine how devastating it would have been just months later to go from thinking you're cancer-free to being told you have stage 4 cancer. From then on, all of her career goals went out the window and her main drive was keeping herself alive. 
When cancer metastasizes and spreads to other organs, survival rates for anal cancer are reduced to 20% after five years. To give her the best chance of survival, she was advised to have the primary tumor surgically removed in an operation called an abdominal perineal resection. An abdominal perineal resection, or APR, is a surgical operation that involves the removal of the anus where the cancer is situated, as well as the rectum and part of the sigmoid colon. The end of the sigmoid colon is then brought through the abdominal wall as an opening called a colostomy, where waste can be removed from the body and collected in a colostomy bag. Despite the fact that having a resection might prolong her life, Farah decided not to have the operation. Ryan said, well, you're going to be cut up. They're going to de-gut you. And this is what they're trying to do to the woman who wore the red swimsuit. Instead of saying, whatever it takes. As an alternative to having invasive surgery, which would leave her needing a colostomy bag, Farah went instead to a clinic in Germany. It provided cutting-edge treatments unavailable in the U.S. at the time that targeted individual tumors. Farah called the doctor, a, a witch doctor in Germany, and he could perform what the American doctors were too cowardly to try, and she was all for it. Cancer care in Germany has a good reputation, but I want to investigate if the specific treatments Farah underwent there helped or hindered her recovery. May 30th, 2007. The Leonardis Clinic, Bad Heilbrunn, Germany. Less than two years before Farah's death. Rather than having a resection and colostomy, Farah instead has the tumor but not the surrounding area removed. Her treatments are filmed by her friend, Alana Stewart. I feel like... Alice in Wonderland. Really, everything is surreal. Dr. Keeling removed the primary tumor, and then he took biopsies of the surrounding area to make sure there were no remaining tumor cells. Brett Hudson, Farrah's cancer buddy. I think Farrah made the film because she was a very positive person. I think she felt that this was going to be a story about her recovery, about her beating cancer. It was at the clinic that Farah met musician-turned-film director Brett Hudson, who was being treated for throat cancer. Farah and I were cancer buddies. That's what we called each other. Here was this beautiful, frail woman who inspired me to fight. I mean, she just said, don't ever give up, don't ever give up. The German clinic used a number of cancer treatments not available in the U.S. at the time. The first is known as perfusion, where drugs are administered directly to the tumor, bathing it in cancer-killing chemicals. Farah also received a treatment called embolization. Embolization uses particles to block the blood supply to tumors to starve them of nutrients. The particles or embolus may also include chemotherapy drugs to attack the cancer in a process known as chemoembolization. Farrah Fawcett had a third procedure called laser ablation, a process which heats up the tumor to around 100 degrees Fahrenheit to destroy cancer cells. December 4, 2007. J.W. Goethe Hospital, Frankfurt. Ah! 
During the filming of Farah's treatment, she was shown groaning and writhing in pain as a long needle was injected into her liver. What they did, Farah, they go in with this prod through the side, and she had nine tumors burnt off her liver, which is really scary. I mean, I could hear her screaming in the next room. After the treatment, Farah decided to fly home rather than stay at the hospital, as advised by her doctors. Her son, Redmond, he was the apple of her eye, as they say. She was crazy about him. She missed Redmond. And she left, went home. I just think that was a mistake. February 7th, 2008. J.W. Goethe Hospital, Frankfurt. 16 months before Farah Fawcett's death. After three months at home, Farah returns to Germany for more tests. CT scans show that all her tumors are inactive, and she is declared tumor-free. Farah is overjoyed. They celebrated the fact that she was done with the treatment to get those tumors off her liver because the pain that woman went through to get that treatment was horrific. Farah was declared tumor-free, which meant her tumors appeared to be dormant. But it is not the same as being cancer-free, where all cancer cells have been eradicated. So while this was encouraging news, it was by no means an all-clear. How's everything going with the, with, the, with the treatment? Are you getting on all right? Yes, yeah, Hard, hard, hard so. work? Extremely, extremely, extremely difficult. Yeah. Hard, not pleasant. Tiring. <laughs> I felt much better before when I was sick. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> but two months later, Farah Fawcett's tumors were again active. Farah's reaction once she was told didn't stop her fight. She refused to let this beat her. Despite the return of Ferris' tumors, I don't believe the treatments in Germany had an adverse effect on her health. They are now accepted in the United States, so I'm going to discount them. But Farah's condition continued to deteriorate, leaving her one last throw of the dice to try and save her life. Actress Farah Fawcett was diagnosed with anal cancer in September 2006, which was later discovered to have spread to her liver. But as her health deteriorated, Farah heard that doctors were trialing a groundbreaking new cancer treatment in Los Angeles. Farah realized it was crucial to be accepted into the study. August 29, 2008, City of Hope Hospital, Los Angeles, nine months before Farah Fawcett's death. Farah was successful in getting a place on the trial, which involved spending 12 hours having strong anti-cancer drugs pumped into her body. You do whatever you have to do to try to live. And I think Farah did that because it was a new treatment. It might have worked. You don't know. So you roll the dice and take the shot. I think that's what she did. This cancer treatment had shown promising results, but was not clear for use by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. The IT-101 trial involved injecting nanoparticles infused with cancer-killing chemicals into the bloodstream. These nanoparticles are 100 times smaller than red blood cells and possess the ability to pass through the much larger pores of tumors. 
Through this targeting technique, the nanoparticles can be concentrated within the tumor tissue, leaving other tissue and organs unaffected by the chemotherapy. Following the treatment, things initially looked good, and everyone was hopeful that this was the miracle cure they had all been waiting for. At one point, it seemed like it did work. But cancer, it's a tricky disease. You don't really know. October 2008, Farah's condo, Los Angeles. Seven months before Farah Fawcett's death. The new chemotherapy drugs Farah is taking on the IT-101 trial are very strong, resulting in Farah's hair starting to fall out. Toward the end, you see her finally agreeing to take the chemo that would lose her hair. And instead of seeing it fall out in clumps, she just shaved it off. That hair was like just a dark, dark spot. And then there'd be a light spot and then a dark spot. And so <laughs> That was the one last moment of power that she had over the cancer. I think Farrah's attitude changed. And I think she just said, I'm not going to go do whatever you have to do. And she did lose her hair. February 9th, 2009, St. John's Health Center, Santa Monica, California. Four months before Farah's death. Despite the high hopes for the experimental drug, Farah's cancer continues to spread. And her friends begin to prepare for the worst. Then Farah is dealt another blow. In April 2009, Farah's 24-year-old son, Redmond, was jailed for possession of drugs. He had been in and out of rehab since he was a teenager, but this was the first time he had been jailed. Ryan O'Neill tries to keep the news from Farah, fearing that she's too weak to cope. One of Farah's biggest heartbreaks was when Redmond was incarcerated. Farah was affected very dramatically, but she did the best she could. I think she was the best mother she possibly could have been with him. April 25th, 2009. Farah Fawcett's L.A. condo. Eight weeks before her death. Farah's condition has worsened, so she spends her days constantly drugged and in a perpetual state of sleep. At this stage, the tumors in Farrah Fawcett's liver had increased from the nine initially detected to 40. To cope with the pain, she was given large doses of morphine-based drugs, which induced a state of extreme sedation. With Farrah's chances of survival fading, her only son, Redmond, is given permission by the prison authorities to see his mom. Well, Redmond had been in and out of rehab for a long time. And when Farah was pretty much bedridden, he was allowed to come and visit her. But she was on so many pain drugs, she barely recognized him. May 15, 2009, Farah Fawcett's condo, Los Angeles, five weeks before her death. 
Farah's documentary called Farah's Story, charting her battle with cancer, finally airs. It's watched by nine million people and is nominated for an Emmy. It was a very difficult thing to watch. She watched it with Ryan while she was in bed, and it was one of the last things that she was able to see. She was very proud of it. I have some questions. Like, why isn't there more research done on certain types of cancer? And why doesn't our healthcare system embrace alternative treatments that have proven to be successful in other countries? I think it was courageous, which is the Pharaoh that I knew, fighter and courageous. And I think it was outstanding. June 3rd, 2009, St. John's Health Center, Santa Monica. Despite rallying to watch her documentary, Farah's condition soon relapses, and she's taken to the hospital. A CT scan reveals that her cancer is rampant and has spread throughout her body. The fact that it kept spreading was a big concern for Farah. She didn't want to leave her life. She didn't want to leave Ryan. She didn't want to leave Redmond. As Farah's condition deteriorates, she's moved to the intensive care unit. Her closest friends are told to prepare for the worst and gather around her bedside. On the 22nd is when she went into a coma from which she never came out of. With no hope of recovery now expected, Ryan O'Neill gives the doctors permission to remove her life support. They turned off her equipment, her breathing machine, and a feeding tube. Her closest friends were there till the end. Dear friends, Alana Stewart and Mel Murphy. At 9.28 a.m. on June 25, 2009, less than three years after being diagnosed with anal cancer, Farrah Fawcett dies, surrounded by her closest friends. Actress and icon Farrah Fawcett died this morning after a long battle with cancer. Farrah's death devastated me. Still today. Of course I was devastated, but I also knew that it was coming. I'd already said my goodbyes. I was very upset, but I like to think about what she did for everybody and how that woman inspired me to save my life. Despite the failure of the experimental drug IT-101 to save Farrah's life, I believe it was a risk worth taking, as were the treatments in Germany. But I've also learned about a drug Farrah took compulsively and want to know if it could have been a contributory factor in her illness. Actress Farrah Fawcett has died after her three-year battle with cancer. She was only 62. Farrah Fawcett died on the 25th of June, 2009, from anal cancer. Distinguished forensic pathologist Dr. Michael Hunter has analyzed all the available evidence 
and discounted stress, drink, and drugs, and alternative cancer treatments as being responsible for her death. But he's discovered a little-known compulsion of Farah's that could be linked to her cancer. I've discovered that Farah Fawcett would take large amounts of antibiotics, which are used to treat bacterial infections. Recent studies have linked their overuse to an increased risk of bowel cancer. So I want to find out if Farah's illness could be caused by this. Farah was first given antibiotics when she was just 28 days old after the operation on her stomach. She claimed to have lived on them ever since. Farah was on antibiotics that she was taking. She'd taken her whole life, I believe. I'm not sure if she was told to stop taking those while she was doing treatment. Ryan said that she started taking Z-Packs, which are cold treatment antibiotics, and those are short-term things to help you get over a cold. While antibiotics are not conventionally addictive, people have been known to get psychologically attached to them. Fer had a very odd relationship with antibiotics. I think the reason for that is because she was very involved in her health. We know that she exercised, we know that she ate well, so she probably saw antibiotics you know, the same way that many of us see vitamins as kind of being a sort of proactive in taking care of your health. Having looked into this more, the studies that found an association between the frequent use of antibiotics and colorectal cancer found no evidence to link it to anal cancer. So I'm going to rule it out as being responsible for Farrah Fawcett's death. So how did Farrah Fawcett get anal cancer? Looking at all the evidence, as she was a non-smoker, the most probable cause is from human papillomavirus, or HPV. HPV is the main cause of this type of cancer, but there's no way of knowing how or when she contracted it. I also think there were two crucial decisions that Farrah made concerning her treatment that could have played a role in hastening her death. In May 2007, when Farrah discovered her cancer had returned, she was advised to have a resection and colostomy to give her the best chance of survival. She refused to get the colostomy. She didn't want to have to wear a little bag that was attached to the outside of her abdomen. Studies show that people with anal cancer that have an early resection and a colostomy have far better outcomes than those who don't. She delayed because she didn't want to lose her hair. She didn't want to have a colostomy. And that kind of thinking was so detrimental to her health. There was a suggestion that Farah had this operation with a colostomy bag that she could have been cured and that she didn't want to do that. I totally understand that. I don't think Farah wanted to live with a colostomy bag if, in fact, that would have saved her life. By delaying this operation, Farah may have allowed the cancer to spread to a stage that became fatal. I don't have a record of the chemotherapy Farah was given but I know that the standard drugs for advanced anal cancer do cause hair loss. This suggests the drugs she was given were not as aggressive. If this was the case, then it raises the question of whether this decision was detrimental to her health. As it was, Farah died less than three years after being diagnosed. 
And I can now reveal what was going on in her body at the time of her death. Farrah's cancer began in her anus and metastasized to her liver, initially with nine tumors, which increased to 40. The human body has very finely balanced limits of body salts and chemicals, and the liver plays a crucial role regulating this balance. Once Farrah's cancer spread throughout her liver, this balance was totally compromised, causing toxins to overwhelm her body and vital functions to cease resulting in her death. We will never know if an abdominal perineal resection or different chemotherapy early on could have saved Farrah Fawcett's life. Survival rates once it's metastasized are poor. Farrah had some of the best advice in the world, so I'm going to conclude that while the decisions Farrah made didn't cost her life, they may not have helped prolong it. We had the funeral. When we couldn't find you, we had no choice. This my old mother's funeral. She should be remembered as a beautiful, intelligent, artistic woman who refused to give up. And that should inspire people. I mean, I don't know about great. But, but things are looking up. I'm Is that it? <laughs> things are looking great for you? Yeah, no, they are. She was a bright, shining star. And she was a fighter always. A lot of hard work in that for you, Farrell. I remember her smile and her, her laugh. Just that she was an angel. She was, she, was, she was beautiful. I miss her a lot. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Autopsy. Don't forget to subscribe at podcastone.com with the Podcast One app or at Apple Podcasts. Then go to reels.com, that's R-E-E-L-Z.com, for clips, extras, and more from the TV version of the series, including reenactments and autopsy photos you'll only see on Reels' channel. Find Reels on your TV at reels.com. I'm Dr. Michael Hunter. 